administration. So, um, yeah, you know, who here loves creation? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Who here doesn't? Okay, you're out. You're out. Uh, so, that's it. We're done. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is a lot for me right now as I'm, as I'm figuring out what I'm doing with my life. So, uh, you know, sometimes you can uh, read the, the first few chapters of Genesis and it seems like everything you need to know about creation is like in these first few chapters. You know, it's just so full of so many good things. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we, uh, we've read Genesis within the framework we have for so long um, that's, that's not necessarily what we're pulling out. You know, we, we pull out like original sin and the fall and there's a lot of things in there. And so what does it mean to sort of look at it through a different lens? Um, and so, uh, and without missing some crucial messages, some of you guys have heard, uh, heard us speak several times before on Genesis 2, right? And this sort of narrative where uh, God creates humanity, uh, right? If you have a Bible, this one's not in there, but in Genesis 2, uh, right? In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, verse 5, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to serve the ground, right? Um, and this is the Lord God formed the human from the dust of the ground and breathed life into the human's nostrils, the breath of life, and it became a living being, right? So good that... I know we've talked about this before, right? The human, the ha-adam, comes from the adama, literally comes from the ground, right? And if you see it in the text, there's just this beautiful play that happens that we discover that we are taken from the, from the ground as co-creators with God. And so uh, if you could sum up these first couple chapters in Genesis, it would be like, go, multiply, be fruitful, right? Seed, seed, shoot, shoots, right? and uh, expand and so goes on by verse 15 in chapter 2 God's uh, giving us sort of like our role here that says to serve and keep creation uh, some translations say till and keep uh, serve and keep avad right and uh, and so our our primary role in creation seems to be sort of surrounded with us and the dirt and the land and and how we can serve it and and you know christian circles we like to talk about being stewards right you don't use this in any other uh part of your life except for religious circles around either money or the money or the land you know we're being stewards uh so i don't know we just kept that word i don't know uh so but but you see this these early texts and it's like healthy creation multiplies and grows and expands right um, multiplication. Look at someone this morning and say, creation multiplication. creation. Come on, come on. We got to wake up, y'all. This is different, I know. Uh, so if it rhymes, you got to say it. So uh, anyway, so then you get to chapter three. You get all of these things. We talked about this in Bible study a couple weeks ago. And it's like, uh, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. Uh, you will toil of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, right? You know the drill. Uh, by the sweat of your face, verse 19, chapter 3, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of the dust you were taken, the dust you shall return. Which is also, coincidentally, that text they always read in weddings, you know. It's like, 
all right, you know. It really makes you wonder also, like, what farming was like before the fall. Hey, BTW, when that door closes, you can't get back in from the outside, so someone can monitor that. Uh, thanks, Trey, I know you're trying. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, so you get this text in the fall, and, uh, you know, and you're like, what was farming like before this? So we just throw a seed down, and it was like a, like, beanstalk that came up, and it was epic, you know, and so now we got thorns and thistles. I don't know. So, um... Anyway, so there's this, this big part of these consequences that we get from eating this forbidden fruit. It's this sort of difficult relationship with the land. All right, so now we turn the page to chapter 4 of Genesis, one of my phrases. Uh, so it's in your handout. Uh, hopefully it's in your heart. And uh, so I want to walk through a few of these, uh, few of these texts uh, with us this morning and, uh, and pull out a few things. Again, if you heard this, I don't apologize uh, because... You know, Lord saving us all here. Uh, now, the man, this is chapter 4, verse 1, here, keeping score. Now the man knew his wife Eve. So this is a biblical euphemism, so if you just keep, keep track. But, uh, and it says, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord, okay, which is key. Uh, what's interesting, this, this term produced uh, is very similar just to the name Cain. Produced is Cana, Cain is Cain. They are related words. And, uh, but she's saying, with the help of the Lord, I produced uh, a Cain, a Cain, which literally means possession. Um, that's what Cain means. And uh, with the help of God. Next, she bore his brother uh, Abel. Literally, this Hebrew word, Habel, means breath. Someone go, just not on somebody else. Right? Breath, Habel. So, two sons, Cain, possession, and Abel, breath. Right? There's something uh, very um, uh, key that, that's happening in this text this morning as we get into it very quickly. And so it says, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a... Avad, a servant of the ground, sort of a throwback to 2.15 already, right? And, uh, and so, in the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock for their fat portions. I always thought that was a funny term. We never use that anymore, the fat portions. They probably use that on the urban farm, I guess. Fat portions is probably a thing. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Come on, Lord. History doesn't really give us answers to why this is, who gets regard, who doesn't get regard, why this whole scenario remains a little bit of a mystery. Uh, some New Testament scripture reflects back to say, Maybe Abel's offering was in faith and righteous, but Cain's was evil and unrighteous. But it's still, there's ambiguity around it. Like, why? You know, we can only speculate. Did Cain hold on to his offering while Abel did not, right? It does make you wonder, right, what, uh, what exactly is going on here in this text. And it says Cain was very angry, and it says his countenance fell, right? 
you know, like you do when you're counting smalls. Some of you are aware of that. And uh, this term literally, uh, panim, uh, translates as, as face, right? Uh, somebody say face. Say face. Sorry, it's, it's a bad joke. But, um, so throughout the Old Testament, this idea of panim, this idea of face, always, always has to do with being in the presence of, right? It's about presence, uh, right? Which is a little bit opposite for us in our day and time when we can see a lot of faces but not be in anyone's presence. Are you with me? And so it's a little bit different, but presence always has to do something uh, face with faces. So uh, verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin as lurking at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. There's a little Yoda or Mr. Miyagi or something going on here in this verse, right? You can just sort of hear it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. And they were in the field, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain, Cain, possession, right, now literally takes the life and the breath from his brother Abel, Habel, breath. If you look closely, you can see what's happening in this text, in this dance here, of this ancient, ancient story that's trying to inform us something about the way that we exist in the world, something about our posture with all things and all of creation, right? And where one of these postures leads and where another one of these postures tends to lead in the world, right? This juxtaposition between a Cain and a Havel, right? The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Woo! Are you with me now? That's, uh, I, I like to think that's probably the most like, memorized verse in the entire scripture. You know what I'm saying? Like, like no one knows anything, but like, am I my brother's keeper? Everybody knows that one, you know? We, uh, we, we got that one on lockdown. We're always wondering in this whole thing, uh, am I my brother's keeper? I'm pretty sure my sister said that more than a few times growing up, um, faux show. But um, yeah, happy birthday, by the way, to my sister, if she ever listens to this podcast, because her birthday was two days ago. Uh, so um, yes, yes, we're very concerned with this question. Am I my brother's keeper? We're very concerned about where the boundaries are. Who am I responsible for and who am I not responsible for? Because if we can figure that out, like life gets a lot easier, doesn't it? If we can figure out who it is we're actually supposed to be caring for and who I don't really have to worry about, right? Boundaries kind of help with that. Who is it that, that, that we can spend or need to spend so much time and effort and energy uh, on and who do I not have to, right? Sometimes we can be quick to say, not my problem, rather than, how can I be here in your presence with you, right? 
our brotherly boundaries help us keep our apathy intact, but our brother's blood cries out for empathy this morning. Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Isn't that funny? Listen. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What have you done? What have you done? You know, they say hundreds of species goes extinct every single day. That's a real number. What have we done? Right? Families around the world today still go without clean water, good topsoil, breathable air. I don't know if you guys saw that latest report from, um, from out east, it was like, was it uh, Delhi? In Delhi, it's like the numbers are insane for um, people who die from uh, air quality out there, right? What have we done? You guys have seen the documentaries? Coral reefs are bleaching away. In a few, few years, they probably won't be around. What have we done? Topsoil is sliding off the face of the planet from the way that we worship our pagan gods, Monsanto and monoculture. What have we done? There's the ever-glaring example of the Gehenna of the ocean that's about the size of Texas that's a floating patch of garbage. <laughs> what have we done? Permafrost, permafrost is thawing, right? Releasing tons of carbon emissions or, or greenhouse gases, rather, to the atmosphere, right? And probably some sort of beast that's been asleep down there in, for years, right? It's going to be a total Fellowship of the Ring scenario. What's the, what's the name of that? Uh, sorry, this is going totally off track. What have we done? We don't know. We don't know what this will mean, right? What have we done? Current predictions say that at least 250,000 people uh, die every year just from climate-related um, causes. What have we done? God says, listen. Do you hear it? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. You know, one of the statistics we throw around um, uh, from slavery, right? Uh, you know, modern slavery is one of those things that you don't really realize until you realize it, and it's everywhere, that uh, has a huge climate uh, impact and impacts our environment uh, because of uh, deforestation and other steel-producing crimes. But um, if slavery were an American state, it would be the size of California, and it would produce the, third, the world's third most largest amount of uh, carbon emissions, right? Right behind China and the United States. Uh, from the, you know, think about that. It's a little bit of an image, right? Is it any surprise that modern-day uh, modern environmental degradation and human slavery go hand-in-hand, hand, right? This should not be a surprise for any of us, uh, right? The sin that crouches at our door here today in the Western world is the sin of more, of consumption, of greed, of, of gluttony, right? But, but it's disguised. It's disguised, right? Uh, right, as, as, as everything. 
Our economy is a system that is mostly driven by resources. We extract from the ground beneath our feet, right? Everything from our food, our clothing, our computers, our televisions, right? Uh, it all comes from somewhere. It comes from right here under the ground. Everything from the coal that keeps our lights on to the coal tin that uh, actually makes up your cell phone that your countenance is fallen upon, you know? It's like, that's from the ground beneath our feet, uh, right? Catastrophic environmental destruction in the blood of our brothers and sisters have always gone hand in hand, whether we've seen it or not, uh, right? And so what does it mean to serve and keep creation in all of this? This is heavy stuff. <laughs> you know, this is not a light thing to talk about, but I think it's important for us as we enter this season of creation uh, that we understand the framework, you know, uh, that we understand our role in, in all of this and, and that we are humanity, that we are Hadam, created from the Adama, that we are not, that we are not people who walk upon an, a planet, but we are people of a planet, that we are earthlings. Are you with me this morning? And so what if instead of seeing ourselves as separate from creation, uh, but seeing ourselves as part of creation, co-creators with God, holy and set apart, like we already talked about, but with creation this morning uh, in a distinct and holy relationship. What if we consume differently because we're Christian, right? Uh, what if we think about where our clothes come from and where our food comes from and what we do with our trash and how we live in the world, right? What if there is no decision or no thing too small that God doesn't care about uh, right, Emily would say, I dare you to name something that God doesn't care about. Um, right. And so this morning we must confess, right, it begins with our confession that, that our brother and sister's blood cries out from the ground, um, from the Amazon and the Congo and the rhinos and the bees, all of it. Verse 11, the consequences and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer lead, yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me from the soil. Man, are you with me? Like, guys, this this sacred holy relationship that was created from the beginning just seems so shattered here doesn't it between the Adam and the Adamah between us and the ground and humanity and so for us to talk about salvation here this morning and good news and creation and health and wholeness right it must be a complete vision of salvation that our salvation must be uh, tethered to all things right how do we ever think that we are we're separate right Salvation and redemption, I think, is all too often thought about as if we're trying to get back to a net zero with God, uh, like trying to get it in some sort of place of, of sustainability, right, rather than a movement, rather than something that's moving forward, rather than something that's growing. Unless the church is a healing force in the world today, uh, actually bettering the landscape of this world, and then what are we doing, right? It seems to me that we, we talk a lot about forgiveness of sins. That's a good thing to talk about, right? But this is only part of it this morning, right? This is, this, I'm not going to say status quo, but it's, it's kind of, right? Because 
Salvation is so, so, so much more than that this morning. It's not a sustainability gospel. It's a sanctifying gospel is what we like to talk about. And this is coming. And this whole thing is, 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 is being renewed. Right? And so I think true salvation, uh, we must begin to talk about the framework of the renewal of all things from the second creation, from the eschaton, from the thing that, that is breaking in. And so, and I think this morning, if the church cannot uh, talk about this from a framework of hope and hopefulness, who can? And this is why my, my friend Philip in Germany used to always say, you know, the local church is the hope of the world. And uh, this is so, so long ago, and I, I chewed on that for many years. And uh, I think there's so much truth there, though. The means of God's grace in the world, right? God's hands and feet. Technology uh, won't, you know, if we're talking about this from a place over here, right? Technology is not going to save the world, <laughs> right? It's, it's, uh, that's, that's not how this is going to go, right? It's, uh, it's God's people doing God's work, right? It's, it's God. What does it mean that we must innovate, that we, that we work toward prairie restoration and that we work toward plant trees, but that we return to this sacred relationship between us and creation, right? I love what they're doing at the Nazarene Church in Kent, Washington. I talk about this a lot because I think it's so beautiful, right? And they had all these refugees, families, tons of refugees in Kent and who had nowhere to grow their culturally appropriate food. And so they had all these parking lots. And so they just started, they just went out there with shovels and picks and they took all the pavement up. And now there's this just amazing community garden out there that they're doing in, in Kent. And um, gosh, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's called... Uh, what's it called? It's so, it's so long. Hillside Paradise Parking Plots Community Garden. And, uh, and so now it's the largest green water site in Washington with five rain gardens, a food forest, and they capture over 3,000 gallons of water a year. Uh, or a parking lot. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, like this is innovation. This is beautiful. This is kingdom of heaven oriented, right? This is, this is actually feeding our neighbors. This is actually healing our lands. And so what does it mean for us to, to thrust our hands into the dirt this morning? What does it mean for us to, to continue down this conversation and this season of creation and think about ourselves not as, not as like another thing, but as entering into this primary relationship that we were created for from the beginning, uh, right? And if, if you're here this morning and you're ready to switch to bamboo toilet paper, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, right? And there, but there's so much more. There's so much more this morning. And I, and I think we, as the people of God, have got to dream. And we've got to dream audacious dreams. And, uh, you know, particularly in our tribe, we, talk, we like to talk about uh, wholeness uh, in the framework of sanctification. And then we talk about entire sanctification, which, you know, you can, I've learned you can graduate and get a whole degree and still be really confused by it. But I at least would dare to say one thing this morning is that you can't talk about entire without talking about entire. And we can't miss that holiness always has to do with wholeness. And that's where we must start from this morning, that we might be a people less interested in possessing 
and more interested in breathing? And what does it mean to be a people who are life-giving? Sort of a heavy primer this morning for us in this season, but uh, I think that there's no way forward in the world today if not through love. Fear can be a motivator, um, but, but that's, that's not what we're here. That's not what we're created in the image of, right? We are people of love, created in the image of love, and that's the only way forward this morning. So let me pray for us. Noah's going to come share a song, and the kids are coming back in here in a second. Um, but yeah, it's on my heart. Lord God, sort of a, a lot on our hearts and minds this morning, and sometimes it's hard to even know or see or not feel paralyzed. Uh, so we live in a day and age where all the media <laughs> seems to rule the world. So we take a breath. We receive that ancient gift that you've already given us and that you somehow continue to give us with every single moment. And another breath. We set aside this season today and go on this journey to remind ourselves of the importance that our feet grow roots into the soil beneath us that no, we were never separate from it but sometimes we need to be reminded of our tether and that we are here this morning created from the dirt and breathe life into by you God this divine image Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love. Give us dreams to dream and visions for the future. In your name, amen.